Welcome to episode 32 of the Creative Strings podcast. Our special guest today is Stash Y. Slouch. He is truly a creator. So we're gonna be all about the music today. So you're gonna hear things like this. And things like this. And things like this. So clearly there's a lot of music we want to share with you. We're also going to take a peek inside Stash's uh, mind, ask him about his process today. Hope you'll stick around through this episode. I really want to thank our sponsors, Yamaha and Electric Violin Shop. Uh, I've worked with Yamaha for over 20 years. They create awesome violins, all kinds of bowed string instruments, electric, acoustic, and Electric Violin Shop is the go-to, my number one go-to resource as far as uh, providing support related to amplified bowed strings, effects, accessories, electric violins, anything like that, you name it. Just go to electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings. Their phone number's there. You can call them with any questions. Tell them I sent you. All right, so let's get into this episode with Stash Y Slouch of the Stash Band. Stash Y Slouch, thank you so much for joining me on the Creative Strings podcast. And um, before. I asked you some questions about what you're up to. I'll just share a little bit with our audience about our relationship. I met you back at Berkeley around 2007 uh, when I used to teach there. And uh, we used to hang out with Andy Reiner late at night sometimes, listening to music, playing tunes and stuff. And uh, you were a burning guitar player. You were interested in, obviously, um, a lot of acoustic or Americana or bluegrass or whatever you want to call it. But I know that you were always really interested also in jazz and also interested in rock and a lot of other kinds of music, super eclectic taste. So I just felt like we hit it off from way back then. And recently I heard uh, some of your new music and it just made my day, man. Like you guys came to Asheville, you played at ISIS with the stash band. And I am so glad I went out cause it was so awesome. Just awesome, man. You you are just like an awesome purveyor of ideas, lyrical, musical, rhythmic form, everything. Thanks. So, yeah, man, I'm I'm glad you're here with me today. Uh, I wanted to talk about the new album and ask you to, yes, and maybe we could just start with that because because I think people just need to hear the music. The album is called The Faucet of Love, appropriately named. And it's the Stash Band by Stash Weislouch, W-Y-S-L-O-U-C-H. You can find them all over the place. Um, I wonder if there's just like a tune we could start with to give people a flavor of what I like to call kind of, I don't know, thrash grass or metal grass. It's a beautiful fusion. Is there a tune you'd like to choose? Yeah, let's, uh, we could start with the second track on the album. It's called Kill Everything in parentheses, the sociopath's anthem. Can you tell uh, us a little a, bit? Of, tell us a little bit about the two: the lyrics, music, whatever. Yeah, so the, it kind of it's it's a pretty heavy metal riff, kind of like uh, crunchy chromatic stuff going on at the top. Uh, we put a little fuzz synth on it, but mostly it's it's kind of like all this guitar, fiddle, unison stuff, which is a big part of the Stashman sound. And you know, the lyrics is kind of it's a lot of our lyrics are tongue in cheek. So you know, we're kind of talking about these these bizarre people that seem to want to just kill everybody i guess and maybe that's not very politically correct with the uh 
the times, but it's a bizarre feeling that seems to prevail all over the place. So touching on that. Thank you. This this music is like, yeah, I mean, you know, as professional musicians, we go around and, and we just hear stuff all the time, and it's just normal. But then when something really knocks you over, you know, it's like, it's 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 exciting. Well, that means a lot coming from you, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, man. How did you get into a you know a position to be surviving and thriving as a sideman, playing with people like Bruce Molsky and others? And, uh, and or how are you trying to, you know, put yourself out there as a leader? Is there anything you could tell us about that journey? It's been, what, the last five years, I guess? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, like, I like academic. I like academia. And I like learning about the way the notes relate to each other. But also a big part of Berkeley was just going out and meeting people in the scene. So a big part of the attractive thing was Boston. A lot of people play fiddle. A lot of people play mandolin. I was really into bluegrass at that time. That was kind of a cool way to get into that scene. And I didn't necessarily have aspirations to be a band leader, but I like to be a collaborator. So it, it was just a good place to exchange ideas. Got out of Berkeley, and now it's time to make some money. And it's it's really just a balancing act. And um, it, I was in a touring band for five years, The Deadly Gentleman, and that was led by Greg List. And I learned a lot about leading a band and just kind of the basic logistics of touring, recording and performing. And so that's kind of how I learned the ropes. I wonder, could you expound upon that? I mean, was there anything that you learned from being on tour with, with the deadly gentleman that maybe you didn't learn at Berkeley or anything you can think of uh, logistics of touring, recording, all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So learning the ropes of touring, for example, is just like the psychological wear and tear, you know, like they're not going to have a class at Berkeley, like, all right, class, today we're going to sleep on the floor 
while somebody next door is having ragingly loud <laughs> sex and maybe um, somebody's coming in three hours into rapid eye movement sleep and vomiting on your feet or something you know it's like no you not that that was not that that was an exact scenario right. but you know these kind of things you, you learn okay maybe if i'm on a seven week tour i need x amount of sleep every night to be to be able to do my job well and then and then beyond that and then beyond that just logistics you know seeing how the financials play out when you get x amount of money for a guarantee are you factoring the gas money are you factoring in the car rental are you factoring in the per diem that you have to pay all the musicians and that reality comes in pretty quick in just a week of touring outside of your general region where you live right and it's it's tough to see that you, you know you can you can theorize about it but there's no better way of learning than like you know having to buy three hotel rooms a night when you're touring in Ohio, Kentucky and Illinois and so and so just just that i mean that was really helpful right yeah so just getting seasoned on the road as a sideman and stuff and sort of learning what your limits are and how to how to take care of yourself and what to expect as a sideman. And and you've started to transition into doing that as a leader. I mean, you've been touring with this dash band and how is that coming together for you? What What's the difference for you and what have you been doing to try to build your career as a leader? Well, for me, it's about, because part of me being a leader, it's just as me, just as much me being interested in being able to create totally freely. Right. And I can't necessarily do that if I'm on the road a hundred 90 days a year or 300 days a year. So part of it that I'm discovering is saying like, you know, maybe I don't need to be out on the road all the time. And I might even make the exact same amount of money if I'm not on the road all the time, but still putting as much focus in like teaching, just as much focus into writing new material to keep myself excited creatively on top of just job wise. And I'm also really lucky that I play in another band, Mossy's Mountain Drifters, and we get to tour a lot and we play some nice venues. And that's a a totally different outlet, which is really fun. So yeah, it's cool. So finding the balance and making yes. some of those hard choices. And, you know, you don't want to. Yeah, you know, you can only expect people to wear themselves out so much when you can only pay so much, right? So you don't want to necessarily kill a project before it's it's even out there. And that's the thing that I think happens in a lot of common young bands that they say, okay, we got to tour everywhere, we got to hit everything, and it's like, you know, maybe you'd be better off not touring all the time and kind of honing your voice, honing your craft as a band so when you know maybe better money comes along better opportunities you're ready to take those on with a bigger scope of material and just perspective on the whole thing awesome well said and are you living in boston now or, or new york yep. boston okay. boston so you're also able to do some local work there and you're taking some teaching um i'm curious so what's what's it like to to be teaching how do you were you were you looking for were you planning on that or not planning on that and are you enjoying it are you learning something from doing that i love teaching um uh, yeah i like i said before i like music academia i like breaking down like all the different elements right and a lot of my favorite musicians it's like they they like to break all those little parameters down and i find that it's actually it's very liberating creatively because you, you really get to see these parameters like in their binary form right like totally naked and you're like okay that's what i that's like the lowest common denominator of that thing let's let's build off from that and so it's very exciting so i do a lot of camps with Moskis mountain drifters and yeah i teach a lot privately i have ensemble classes so you also get to analyze a lot it gives you a good excuse to like sit down and analyze other people's music which is like so cool so fascinating and yeah and 
Well, for a lot of teachers, I mean, I, I find that it's you have to give a lot of energy, but but you don't mind that. It sounds like. That's great, man. Thank you for sharing that. So, obviously, your music is uh, drawing from a, this kind of fusion. You're fusing a lot of interests together. And, and I think it's neat because the Americana genre sort of, I haven't heard it taken to such levels. I, I, I kind of, when I heard you live with the Stash Band, it reminded me of when I first got introduced to John Zorn's Torture Garden. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that record. Are you familiar with that record? Well, you told me about it, so I checked it out. So it's a really. So thank you. That's a great. That's a great compliment. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's uh, because you know you have all these like really turning on a dime. You know, meter changes, time changes. You know, style changes. You know, it's cinematic. It's like in some ways, I don't know. In some ways, it reminds me of, like cartoon music. It shares that in common. You know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I haven't. Just the fact that you use as a source material all of this kind of Americana stuff uh, is one of the things I think it's wonderful about it. Um, and I wonder if we could talk about that briefly. Um, how you know? How do you envision yourself as a musician? Obviously, you love Americana, but you love other kinds of music. So, is there is there any way that you would describe either your process or? the kinds of music that you focus on when you're writing or when you're practicing? Well, it, at the core of it, I pretty much just sit down and I'll have an idea or riff and kind of just go off that. Not some like elaborate process of form and pre-conceived things. So that's kind of the core of it. But um, yeah, there's a lot of through composition. So it's a lot of like train of thought stuff and then kind of going with the flow and then going back and editing afterwards or not editing do you what what um do you do it all just with a guitar in your hand and just kind of like sync it through or do you record stuff and then put it back together in a in a digital audio workstation or record little snippets and come back to them or write it down on paper what do you do all the above and there's a lot of like voice memo vocalization where it's like it'll be more of an approximate shape as opposed to specific notes and you kind of get like a certain groove certain rhythm and then for, yeah, same thing with words. But it is it, a lot of it is just sitting down and saying for X amount of hours, let's make something cool. Let's not worry about if it's going to be good or bad. Let's just make it happen. Wow. I love that. So just kind of making a commitment that I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write something. I don't care what it is. I'm just going to try. Yeah, it's work. Love that. And, and do, you, uh, do you ever say, well, let me write a, uh, something with this groove the whole way through? Or uh, you already said it's not usually preset parameters, but, but do you ever try to do that anyway i guess you must have at one point for a class at berkeley or something like that but. yeah 
Um, maybe more in like a general vibe sense. Like maybe lately I think, oh, everything's being a little too aggro, and I kind of feel this this necessity to have some more something more like chilled out or like introspective or something. Even if it's just so maybe just on general vibes, maybe not a specific groove. Yeah. But grooves, specific grooves end up happening based on like my conditioning based on the vibe that I want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So, but a vibe, that's great. I love that. And just sometimes do the words give the vibe? I mean, you come up with the words first and then come with music ever or both at the same time and separately also. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There were, there was one, um, there was one verse, there was one lyric that stuck out to me and I'm wondering if you can, uh, remember the tune, uh, and we can play it because I just thought it was so brilliant. <laughs> it's like, um, oh man, I'm going to get stuck here because I can't remember the line. It's like everybody, it's very, it's like this anthemic thing with like two chords going back to each other. And it's like, was it about Jesus? It might have been, but I think it was more about, it was about the tendency of everybody to try to be great or everybody must, oh, everybody wants everybody else to fail. Oh, yes. Well, we, we uh, we heard that actually at the that's the outro to kill everything. Oh, it is okay. Good. Okay. Good. 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 So we are. I would I want to just play that outro again now anyway because maybe we didn't yeah, get yeah, it earlier. Yeah. But but just t- yeah, it's the sociopaths anthem. Oh. It's going through their head. Uh, it's not enough to win. Everybody else must fail. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just that was so to me it was so sublime. It it's like it just gets to the heart of like people and you know motivations and stuff and when i heard that i live i was it made me think of you in a different way like as sort of a philosopher poet and like (laughs) and because because i just know you as like a really you know as like kind of you know you're like a funny and you're sort of understated and you know the way you come off is kind of you know i guess a little bit dry or whatever you know like with sure you know but then it made me think like your music like you're really you're conveying some powerful ideas with, with lyrics. Do you, do you think about like, I mean, do you think about that? Like your lyrics are going to have an effect on people? Cause I don't write lyrics. So I, I mean, it might sound really naive, but, but to me, it seems like you're really kind of lyrics are powerful. So what do you think of the, the point of what you do as a lyricist? I mean, what, what do you see your mission as if, if I may be as so pretentious as to use that word? <laughs> yes. I have a lot of uh, things going on in the songs, but you know that was like nine months ago. So now I'm actually trying to retract uh, my political slants in any song because I'm I'm starting to think that my new mission is to not be political in music. So it's uh, changing. My mission's changing day to day. Okay, all right, that's fair. And it, but whether or not it's political, it's also about sort of commenting on human nature. And and I mean, just it it's like it feels to me like such a brave leap to take a stand with, with writing words. It's like, you know, yes, it's, it's totally. like, it's like posting something. It's like posting an opinion on Facebook, yeah, yeah. but like exponentially, like a thousand times more. Cause you're like, this is really what I believe it's in a song forever. Right. And it, it just, it made me see you in a different way because, because I think that's the power of, of writing words and you know, there's such a creative will behind it. Totally. Yes. And there's a lot of risk, which maybe I'm dealing with now. But that's okay. Uh, and how do you mean, like, you've gotten blowback on, on some of your words? Or? No, but, you know, I can imagine uh, I look at something I said in one one song or something. I say, you know, I could see how that could be misconstrued. Or like, 
maybe that's not gonna be, that's not gonna stand up to the test of time. But that's why I just you got to keep making a record every year and just make sure it's a snapshot, right? <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, let's look at another song. Let's look at another snapshot from the record. What, 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 could you could you tell us a little bit about uh, what went into it, what it's about, the music, whatever sure. you want? Yeah, let's go. Um, this is kind of it's got almost like a hip hop Beastie Boys type leaning to it. This is the third track. Um, it's called Rumination Number One in parentheses the Wonder Song. And this one's kind of just about the general process of sitting there for two hours looking at your desk and saying, okay, I wonder what I wonder about my wandering wonders. And, you know, I thought, okay, that's kind of the, the whole process right there in a lyric. So, um, yeah, it's called, there's four ruminations on the album. The reason I call it ruminations is because they don't quite qualify as a song in some ways. <laughs> but then who cares about those qualifications anyways? Anyways. <laughs> but then... Um, so in some ways, it's kind of like a thesis to all of my whole songwriting thing. And then it gets a little political, and we'll see, or biblical or something, but that's okay. And it's funny. It's funny, because humor is okay in music. It's awesome. Awesome. Okay, we're going to check this out. Track three. Let's do it. If you listen to Creative Strings Podcast, then you're probably a creative string player. And if you don't already know about our annual conferences, we've been doing a conference in Columbus, Ohio for 16 years, a Creative Strings Workshop. But last year, we started adding cities all around the world. And this year, we've got more workshops in different cities. We'll be in Toronto, Dallas. We'll be in Switzerland, uh, Asheville, and Columbus. We're about to launch our... Um, super early bird discounts for all of these events the events are in the spring but you want to definitely check them out now so that you can get locked in for these early bird discounts and these are the types of events that you want to plan for you know well in advance so definitely go to christianhouse.com and just look for education if you look there or just google creative strings workshop it should show up you can also reach out to me at chris at christianhouse.com with any questions I love to listen to podcasts when I'm driving, when I'm cooking, when I'm cleaning, um, sometimes when I'm working out. And I want to tell you about another great podcast that you probably would love. 
is called Rockstar Violinist Podcast, and it is produced by our sponsors, Electric Violin Shop. So make sure to subscribe to Rockstar Violinist Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Episode 17 was an episode that I did with them, and either way, I think you're going to find a lot of great episodes. I want to subscribe over there. Track three on the faucet of love by the stash band. Cool, man. This is, this is great. I appreciate you making time for this stash. Um, (laughs) see something else I can, I can ask you about. Um, what do you think's, uh, what do you think's next for you now that, now that you've done the, uh, you've kind of broken the seal, I guess, as a leader with this record and with going out and touring. So, and I'm, and I can only imagine cause I saw you at ISIS and I know you played some small rooms and I'm guessing that, you know, it was the kind of break even touring and just trying to get the word out and, you know, putting the music yeah. out to the people. And, uh, so I'm, I'm guessing that it's a combination of the epic exhaustion that you feel when that's over, but also the excitement of like, I did it. And so where are you? Are you like, okay, let's go back and we got to do it bigger next time. Or like, man, that just really wore me out or both. Or like, what's, what did you learn from that first tour as a leader? And where are you going to go from now for, from that? Oh, good question. Well, at the core of everything, when I'm doing this, I, the thing that gives me most joy is being able to play this music completely honestly and uncompromisingly. So that's what I'm most interested in at the end of the day, right? So I'd rather play three gigs a year where I can do exactly on my terms than have to play 120 gigs a year in that band where I constantly have to compromise and play material that might slightly pander to a certain audience in a certain way, right? So right now I'm in the process of figuring out that balance because you do have to tour a certain amount to have your face out there people need to know that you're an available act right so that requires a certain amount of touring so i'm figuring it out yeah and then so after doing that one tour i would say or doing the few tours we've done um you have a plan is there something next yeah okay yeah i think based on the data i've gathered from playing in audiences the music suits an urban environment, right? Cities. So my plan is to build up audiences in specific cities, particularly in the Northeast, because that's where we're based and we don't have to travel as far. And New York, Boston, Philadelphia, DC, they're all really close to each other. And there's a lot of other communities, you know, like you go to the Hudson Valley, we play this great venue in Beacon, Quinn's and people come out there and they, one night they're listening to like avant-garde jazz. The next night they're listening to, Raga's played on a mandolin. The next night, they're listening to the Stash Band, and people are coming out and they're excited to hear new music. Wow! So my my goal right now is to find those kind of audiences, those kind of people, and I think those exist primarily in big cities right now. Got it. And although Beacon, I guess, would be an exception. I mean, that's a small town where they where you were able to find Quinns. But, but Beacon, in a way, it's 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 kind of an ex, it's extension of like Brooklyn. You know, it's kind gotcha. of got that vibe. Gotcha. And I gotcha. think that you can say that about the Hudson Hudson Valley in general. 
And, and I mean, just not at the risk of being boring or whatever, like the nuts and bolts of that, you know, I, I get the kind of the, the vision or the strategy, but what's the, like the nuts and bolts, like, how are you going to find clubs that you can go play at? Is it just emails and Googling stuff and talking to people or how do you do it? Totally. And, you know, all it takes is, is one person, right? One promoter at the one cool club who's kind of willing to work with you and willing to go with the ups and downs. So that's kind of, that's what I've found so far. So we got one club in, in Boston, the Lizard Lounge. Billy Beard is very generous with me and we're going to do a residency in March, every Thursday in March. Uh, we're going up to Burlington, Vermont every Wednesday in March at the Lamp Shop. Wow. And so, you know, you have these promoters in these little communities that are willing to kind of work with you and build an audience. Amazing. And also, I didn't mention a big part of the strategy is just video and online content. You know, that's the thing I'm very interested in, getting video gear and kind of making weird, funky videos that go with the songs, go with the music, and give me a way to produce content cheaply. And can you talk a little more about that? How do you produce content cheaply? How do you, how do, you do that? Um, well, I bought a camera. I bought a microphone. I bought Adobe Premiere, and I'm kind of just figuring out all the nuts and bolts with, sli- with small little projects. So maybe I'll, I'll write a new little riff and like try to orchestrate it and then make a funky, weird video out of it. Right. And like, you know, you see kind of the way people respond. And, you know, I've paid a thousand dollars for a video before. And then the cheap video wound up getting more hits and more traction because people are more interested in like the behind the scenes. And that's kind of the way the industry is changing, too, right now, I think, which is you kind of have to be in control of like video content, uh, audio, all the above. So, well, and it's, it's, and I wonder if it's, you know, I think behind the scenes is a good point, but I think it's also the authentic, the realness of somebody, which even if it's low production, it's like, it's direct. And so for people, yeah. to, you know, it's kind of like Mike, Mark, Mike Barnett's a friend of ours. And I mean, he'll just do something with him in the car with his iPhone, yeah. but it's just so him that you're just drawn to. It doesn't matter. That's like a, you know, it's a cheap one off thing, you know, but it's real totally. and it's kind of fearless and just authentic. And I, and I think that's what, one of the things that draws me to your music too is that the authenticity comes through the like just complete <laughs> realness, you know, so directness. So, so that's great, man. I've, I've been glad to see some of that, even like the photo I saw with the trio on tricycles, you know, and just, it's very speaks to like, who that's you our are. promo shot. That's right. our promo shot. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, and we're going to try to find some of that content and, and link it up. Well, can you share one uh, one more uh, tune with us to set it up and talk about it a little bit? Absolutely. Um, how about the final track on the album? We got a lyric video out on, on it already. It's called The Internet's My Brain. And um, it's just kind of a one riff song with little solis in between each verse, chorus. Um, and it's The Internet's My Brain. I mean, it's the age we live in now. People don't have, you don't have to know anything. You just look up the friggin' internet. And you can find anything you don't want. There's no reason to commit any numbers to memory. There's no reason to know what any word means anymore because you just look it up on your friggin' iPhone. And it's the Internet's my brain. And, you know, so I think that the song kind of speaks for itself beyond that. But I, I like it, too, because it's got this nice section where Duncan Wickle, amazing fiddle player on the album in the sash band, he kind of has this uh, expressionistic abstract solo that's juxtaposed to some weird... Um, maybe slightly pornographic moaning sounds, just, just kind of fun. And, you know, we went there. Awesome. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought up Duncan. Duncan is a world-class fiddle player and 
And uh, was, that was, you know, certainly a big part of the attraction of, of the band was uh, Duncan's uh, creative and, and his creativity, his virtuosity, and also uh, uh, Sean Trishka on drums. I mean, it's, amazing. It's, yeah, it's it's a great uh, unit, and and you couldn't obviously, uh, you know, you couldn't put this 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 music together with that kind of powerfulness without you know cats that are really devoted and so that's that's great that you've got these guys that you've had this bond with for a long time so um what's the name of this tune again the internet's my brain awesome the internet's my brain the internet's my brain without it i am nothing the internet's my brain the internet's my brain the internet's my brain without it i am nothing the internet's my brain Cool stash, why slouch, man? I appreciate you, and uh, I know you're busy. You're out on the road, even while you're doing this interview with me today. I know that folks in the uh, creative string playing world, they're going to be changed forever. It's going to be the day before. It's going to be life before and life after getting introduced to the stash man and this album specifically, the faucet of love. I want to let people know that they can find um, everything about stash and the stash band if you go to. Uh, let me see on Facebook. It's uh, the Stash Band Music, the Stash Band Music. And if you go to stashwyslouch.com, that's stash. And then Actually, Weis- the, go ahead. Um, the stashband.com works too. Oh, good. The stashband.com and the Stash Band Music on Facebook. Sorry, it was YouTube would be uh, Stash Y Slouch at YouTube. But anyway, look for the Stash Band on Google, and you're going to find some amazingly hilarious content. If you're looking for something to uh, to share and really just uh, turn some heads, you won't have to look far if you Google the Stash Band. I, I think I shared three or f- probably three videos just from when I saw you guys live, because it was just like, there was just too much amazingly like head turning content. So um, I wonder just to go out, um, maybe we can go out with uh, one other tune. And before we do, um, I wonder if there's, there's anything you could comment about, because I think you have some, some strong opinions and some fresh perspective. What, is there anything you'd like to, to see more of or less of in the music industry specifically, whether it's relates to the creative side or the, social aspects or the business side of, of music making today? Cause I really think you're, you know, you're one of the young leaders out there now. And, and I'm curious where you would like to, to see the industry go. 
Well, because nobody's making money on music anyways, I think that people just need to get out there and just do their thing as much as possible, as hardcore as possible, and put in the work. Just like work, work, work. Like don't buy Instagram followers. Don't buy your Facebook followers. Just go out and like work your ass off, you know? And I think that that's, that's a really important thing because there's a lot of uh, a lot of jargon, internet jargon going on. And uh, that's that's what I think will stand the test of time, no matter all these like weird industry fluxes. Do you think, is it possible that a lot of people... Uh, don't get to working because they're they're afraid. Uh, you know that people are afraid to put put something out because uh, they're just you know afraid that it's not going to be good enough or they're not going to get a, a response. I mean that's one of the things I love about what you're doing is it's so fearless. It's so, so it seems to be so true to who you are. Do you notice that at all, or or, or do you do you have any thoughts about that? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's a d- direct the the fear quotient has gone way up because of like all the social media and stuff because yes you you look up on Facebook and everybody's doing amazing things brilliant things because people only post about those things and so people always have fear like uh oh all this bad stuff that's going on in my head that's not normal it's completely normal and just keep going like just just try to make stuff happen anyways or shut off the Facebook <laughs> do you ever get afraid and and how do you push through your fear like when it comes to creating your own music and making your own artistic statement. Um, yes, I, I guess I just have a certain mantra in the back of my head that says, nobody really cares at the end of the day. And are you going to die regretting this very moment? <laughs> That's okay. Got it. That's good. I like that. Mantras are good. Cool, man. Thanks again, Stash. Give us one more title that we can run, uh, just to take, take this out. Absolutely. How about track seven, more war away from har. It's the most thrash grass you can get on the album. More track seven. war. Away from Away horror. from horror. Love it. Thank you so much, Stash. Thank you, Christian. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in. Love to get your feedback on this episode with Stash Weislouch. Uh, make sure to show him some love as well. Find him online. Reach out to him. You can always share any suggestions, any questions, any feedback with me. Just email me, chris at christianhouse.com. And a huge thanks again to our sponsors, Electric Violin Shop, as well as Yamaha. Uh, both of these companies do a ton for music education, do a, do a ton to support the creative string playing community. And Creative Strings is an organization, it's a nonprofit organization committed to uh, providing outreach, providing education, and providing annual um, conferences. And uh, you can also learn more at creativestrings.org. Whether it's about additional curriculum we offer, the different events we're putting on, uh, how to get us to come to your studio or your school, or if there's any way that we can partner with you if you're involved in music education uh, in the string playing community. And always, if you can recommend somebody that you'd like for me to bring on this podcast or an idea or any way that um, you'd like to get involved, 
just reach out and let me know. Thanks so much. And I think we'll go out on some more Stash's music. Biting my time